Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Roundup podcast presented by Coinbits. We bring Bitcoin news, hot topics of conversation, and deep dives into a variety of Bitcoin topics to you weekly. We are Coinbits, a Bitcoin financial services company. Check us out at coinbits.app. This recording is for informational purposes only. No investment or legal or any other advice should be drawn from this content. And as always, consult an advisor before making any legal or financial decisions. All right, let's get started here. People usually trickle in, Dan, over time as we, as we get going. Um, we are recording space. We do release the recording as a podcast. So people who are listening to this later, hello, welcome. Um, we are Coinbits. We are a Bitcoin financial services company. We've been around since 2018, helping people buy Bitcoin in a way that is safe and secure and self-custodied. Uh, we allow you to round up your spare change into Bitcoin, making it very easy to get off zero and get your first Bitcoin. You can set up saving habits to meet your long-term goals with Bitcoin. We are coming out with a Bitcoin IRA, and this is wonderful for people who have scattered 401ks or IRA accounts that are in fiat that they would rather put into Bitcoin. They're able to roll that in without a taxable event occurring and then you're, allowed, you're able to kind of uh, grow your Bitcoin um, purchasing power over time and reducing your tax burden. So that's really exciting. It's coming out just in a few weeks now. If you're interested in Coinbits IRA, I highly recommend you go to coinbits.app slash IRA and join the waitlist. The waitlist will allow you to uh, will allow you to move up in line if you share that link. Um, to coinbits.app slash IRA. You have an affiliate link there. If you share that link, you will move up in line so that you will be one of the first people to get the Coinbits IRA feature. Um, we are releasing it kind of in stages. So um, if you don't make it into that first stage and that first phase of rollout, that's okay. <clears throat> we will get back to you later. But if you do want it uh, soon, go ahead and sign up. Coinbits is a Bitcoin financial services company, but we do not give financial advice. You need to talk to a certified licensed financial advisor if you want to know whether Bitcoin is for you. We can't tell you that. We can tell you, though, that Bitcoin has certain properties that make it an extremely attractive asset as compared to other assets. So we'll be talking about Bitcoin, but not about whether you should get it. And today we have Dan Ashmore. Dan Ashmore is a writer and journalist and podcast host. He is the host of the Invez podcast. Um, we recently had a great conversation about Bitcoin product development and emerging technology, and we thought we should bring him on. He is the author of a book called Bitcoin Money and Human Beings that just came out a couple of months ago. That's available on Amazon and other other outlets. So we're going to be talking about Dan's travels, his experience writing that book, what it's about, and just general Bitcoin. And also, Dan, uh, Dave and I were talking this morning, we do want to talk to you about ordinals and um, block space and, and so on, the, the current uh, debate going on in the Bitcoin community about all that. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Dave, uh, David, why don't you take it away and, and, and start the conversation for us? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I guess Dave kind of gave an overview of your background, a bit of an overview already, Dan, but why don't you just tell us briefly, you know, how you how you got into Bitcoin, how that led you to your current career path, and just kind of a general overview of, of all that. Yeah, how you doing, guys? Thanks for having me on. Um, so, yeah, my name's Dan. I uh, work for Inves, the personal uh, finance and investment website. Um, originally, so bounce across as a classical Bitcoin is the, the prime focus and, yeah, probably my biggest passion area. Um, and like you guys said, yeah, that's I wrote a book in the area. So um, it kind of has always taken my, uh, my, eye, my eye. I got into it, like, well, probably like most people through Fluke back in, 2016 or 2017 i just happened to sit beside a guy um i think he was in computer science or something uh, in an old job and yeah he was like hey it'll have a look at this bitcoin thing and then kind of intrigued me and kept an eye on it like um bought a little bit kind of and kind of tracked it number go up number go down but it was only really like probably after the, the bear market crash in um was a christmas of 2017 um that I started like, getting more into it. And then during COVID was really when the passion kind of properly deepened. Uh, so I was working in TradFi at the time, like investment analyst, I guess, like I, I grew up in Dublin, um, but it was probably like the Irish equivalent of a, of a Wall Street job, if you want to put it that way. Um, but yeah, I just decided to convert over and got offered uh, the chance to, I guess, make the jump across and um, went kind of remote too. So started traveling around a bit, which is, where the book came, I kind of, uh, yeah, threaded like my travel stories through my thoughts on Bitcoin a little bit. Um, and yeah, so I just like sat down and was like, okay, let's just write a whole analysis on it and build, build a model on this thing and kind of started out as a paper and then turned into a book, but it was just a fun side project. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my uh, quick background, I guess. That's, that's awesome, man. And so you you have this TradFi background in analysis, and now now you really focus on kind of content creation. Can you talk a little bit about how that transition went for you? Yeah, um, it's kind of yeah, a funny little transition. So I guess I'm sort of like half research, half journalism, I guess, um, but definitely using the creative side of my brain a lot more, um, which is different. Um, like, I remember I, I used to blog a little bit on the side, and especially during COVID, uh, about uh, Bitcoin. And, you know, I, I've always been passionate about macroeconomics. So that's kind of like the angle I like to take with Bitcoin is analyzing it through a macroeconomic framework. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, definitely a little bit of a, a a change, activating that creative side more. And um, But it, it, it's quite rewarding, too, and it can be a lot more stimulating, too. So, um I used to kind of just sit in models all day, which I, I really do love, <laughs> to be honest, as, as nerdy as it is. Uh, I kind of like pulling up a spreadsheet and just digging into the numbers. Um, and I still like do that a lot in the content I make. Like it's um, often like model based and I'm like plotting correlations and kind of like analyzing it from a numerical point of view. But yeah, it's, it's also fun um, on the creative side too. And the, the podcast obviously is, is uh, not, not numerical at all. And, a whole new avenue, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, um, one one question that comes to mind, Dan, is do you ever do you ever keep in touch with your TradFi friends? You know, especially about Bitcoin, because one thing I've noticed is that 
you know, there's a, a huge information asymmetry that's like still there. Like I was talking to one of my good friends who who works in in TradFi, uh, like a, he's a, a just like high yield credit sales at a, a Wall Street bank. And, you know, we were, I had to, he, he was very curious about Bitcoin, but still very, very much like, okay, what's a consensus mechanism? What's, what's proof of work? Like, what's this having thing, right? So I'm wondering, like, you know, do you, do you have those conversations with the people from your, your former job? Are they curious? What's kind of like the, the overall sentiment? Yeah, they're definitely curious. Honestly, they're a lot less curious now <laughs> with, the, with the price uh, no longer 65K or whatever it was. Um, during the massive bull run during COVID, like it was all I was being asked. Um, I was like kind of known as the Bitcoin guy amongst my <laughs> my friends. And um, it was this big, exciting thing. And now, now it's almost more like a curse now that the, the price has come down a bit. Um, but they're still interested. Like that, that's kind of what inspired me to write the book a little bit. I was like, you know, Bitcoin's this, this huge asset, but it, it really isn't on, on a grand scale. Like when you're comparing it to legacy asset classes, you're looking at how, how big equities are, you know, the fixed income markets, like Bitcoin's just a drop in the ocean. And a lot of people, um, they're super curious about it and they don't really know about it. And then the the, te the tech side is, is I think the tech side can be quite intimidating as well, which was part of the reason I want to, to write about it. Like um, the the concept of blockchain to, to an uninitiated mind is, um, even to people like within crypto, I think um, a lot don't like properly understand um, the Bitcoin white paper and kind of the beauty and and, and how new this this uh, breakthrough is. You know the double spend problem and all that. So I was like, okay, I'll just like sit down and try break it down as easy as possible in simple terms, but while also uh, hoping to kind of add value to people who are into it. And then I kind of got more into analyzing it as like an investment and like comparing it to money and seeing like where could it go. But yeah, a lot of it was kind of uh, motivated by, you know, friends in, in TradFi and people who kind of had an eye on financial markets and were into it, but didn't really know about Bitcoin. They kind of thought it was this like, you know, magical internet money for lack of a better exp expression. That just kind of number go up, number go down when um, there really is a lot to analyze and talk about it underneath the hood. So yeah, very much so. But I, I think it's, uh, I guess it's natural, but the interest has definitely come down a lot. Um, in line with the price and but then in the last few months when the price kind of bounces back up again suddenly people are super interested in it so i mean it's it, it's human nature i think but yeah it's kind of funny yeah that's it's, of course we're all familiar with how uh, it's easier to sell bitcoin when it costs more which is really a little bizarre but totally understandable from a psychological standpoint um, but you mentioned that part of what it what uh, inspired you to write the book was these interactions. Can you talk a little bit more about um, the kind of the motivation behind the book and what uh, like what what a central thesis is and and kind of how how that all works? Yeah, sure. Um, so the book wasn't meant to be a book at the start. Like um, I, I wrote a, a paper. I, I don't know if anyone's familiar with uh, Greg Foss's paper where he looks at. Uh, so Greg was, he's kind of a veteran of the credit markets and he analyzes bonds and looks at like yields and kind of tries to compare how he, he looks at maybe like using Bitcoin as, as a hedge against the, the whole credit system. Um, so he, he mentioned this thing called Fulcrum Index and I read the paper and I was kind of fascinated by it and I'm like a bit of a numbers nerd. So I, I dropped him a DM and I was like, Hey Greg, can you tell me like a little bit more about how you worked the numbers behind these? He, he put a fair value 
uh, oh, what did he, he kind of put a fair value on Bitcoin. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I don't, I don't even want to say it, but it, it was, it was a bullish number. Um, and I was kind of, uh, intrigued about how he got there because he didn't really go into it that much in the paper, like the kind of numbers under the hood. So I dropped him a DM and he was like, Hey Dan, yeah, no one's actually asked me about how I worked it out before. So we jumped on a call anyway, and I was kind of like excited about it. And then I looked into it a bit more and kind of strapped my own analysis on top and like sort of like compared it to the gold markup. And anyway, I ended up building this like this model to forecast like what the, the fair value of Bitcoin could be, as elusive a concept as that is. Um, and it ended up being like, you know, I don't know what it was. It was like 15, 20,000 words. So I was like, I, this was just, I totally, totally did it for fun on the side. And I was like, okay, well, why not just like turn this into a book? Cause I actually have uh, loads more to say. So I just kind of purely wrote about it on the side. I've never written a book before. I don't know what it entails. So I was just kind of <laughs> bashing keys on a laptop for the most part. And um, then I kind of gave a little intro about myself and crossing over. And like, I, I grew up in Ireland. We had a, uh, one of the worst banking crises in, in history in, in 08. Um, like our country went bankrupt essentially we had to get bailed out by the imf so i i layered that in and kind of looked at that and i was like you know could could bitcoin kind of maybe present a solution to these problems like a lot of people talk about it but what 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 could this act what could this world actually look at and you know at this point i was in colombia as well um traveling to south america so i was living in the developing world and i was like uh which, which has implications as well and you see you know these devaluing currencies like i think the Colombian pesos lost like 98% of its value over the last 60 years compared to the dollar. And then um, like the Argentinian stories are, are, are quite familiar in Bitcoin circles. So um, yeah, I was kind of layering all these elements in and just building out this, this book just for, for fun, really. Um, I never kind of did it to make money. Like um, it's, it's not, it's quite a niche topic and I'm not like a big name. So I, I knew it was never going to sell. It was just purely for fun. And yeah, then I, I went to El Salvador and was interviewing people there about what they thought about, you know, being legal tender. And yeah, it just kind of turned into this uh, big like financial model, like uh, predicting what the value of Bitcoin would be and comparing it to money and kind of asking the question, is it just a speculative gamble or is there more to this thing? Um, yeah, that's it in a nutshell, I suppose. So it's an interesting title, though, Bitcoin, Money and Human Beings. You bring in this kind of like this human and almost emotional element there. Can you talk about like what how does the title relate to the to the content? How did you come about that? Yeah, sure. So it's like it's in three parts. The first is like an intro to Bitcoin and um, it explains what it is and explains my background growing up, you know, through that bank crisis in Ireland that I mentioned. And then the, the middle part compares with the money, which is where the money element comes in. So it looks at, you know, things like 1971 when uh, the US abolished the gold standard and it looks at the devaluation of the dollar since then and, you know, different economic consequences out of that. You know, it looks at real incomes and kind of housing compared to wages and how how, how wealthy people are in real terms um, since then. And it looks at... You know, then obviously the, the big money printing came through COVID. So I, I, as I wrote this kind of inflation was was starting to become a thing and all these things were happening. So I kind of got a little bit lucky in terms of what was happening earlier. And I was kind of like comparing it to that. And then I was talking a bit about, you know, being in Colombia and, and uh, threading in these stories about these uh, developing nations and their currencies. And so that's where the money came in. And then, yeah, the human side at the end of the day, I was like, um, looking at it as an asset and looking at how it moves and saying, okay, it's crazy volatile. I was like comparing it to gold and euro. And I was like, there's still so much emotion in this thing. Um, it is still, uh, you know, humans are, are, are kind of driving the price of this thing right now. Um, 
And I was kind of like comparing that to what could happen in the long term, you know, if the fundamentals would kind of come through or what it could be one day. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where the humans are. Like it, it, it's sort of half about human history and its relation and humans relationship with money and then half about like what Bitcoin is and could it actually do anything. Um, so I just kind of decided to, to call it that title to kind of convey that it wasn't just a Bitcoin book. Like I'm not just talking about blockchain um, the whole way through. I'm kind of talking about money and how, uh, you know, right from the the invention of paper money all the way through to today and what's happened. And, you know, like I was in um, another coincidence, I was in Ecuador um, for a few weeks and there was like this, these massive inflation or protests against inflation um, and like what it was doing to the country. And, you know, they, they were they were terrible. It was like five or six people died in them and it, it was kind of scary. But uh, then I kind of threaded that in and I was like, yeah, it's, it's a very human story at the end of the day because money is kind of, money has been invented by humans. It's not a tangible thing. You know, we all just sit around and kind of agree that it has value. So yeah, that's kind of where, where the title came from, I guess. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, it's talking about explaining money and, you know, how money and banking works is just so important and really under under taught or I guess under taught well in I mean definitely definitely in the United States um, I'm very interested in your your fair value model I'm wondering if you could kind of explain the, the framework uh, about how you like you know put that together what what's like the the framework for the overall model yeah it's a, it's a good question I'll, I'll try to summarize it as best I can um, without talking for too long um so i took a number of scenarios and i come to a number at the end of it i'm almost hesitant to say it because it's more about the conclusion out of the model was more that you know this is an asymmetric asset with with like huge upside and and like limited downside um and it's very hard to put a fair value on it because it's so hard to know what will happen in the future because you're talking about like massive ticket items like literally you know the the path of, of civilization and our, our view on money and like massive like geopolitical events and all these things so um i took a number of scenarios and approach it from an expected value point of view um so i forecast like what the price of bitcoin would be in a number of scenarios and then i put a probability on those scenarios occurring um and then out of that backed out like a simple expected value calc now so some of the scenarios looked at were a little more complex like one i hinted earlier it was kind of inspired by greg foss's um view on it and I, I I took like all the sovereign um the sovereign debt in the world. Um so like you know the way US has like 30 trillion of debt and I looked at like maybe if you could use Bitcoin as a hedge against this um as insurance and looked at it like from a CDS spread point of view. So the same CDS bonds that were used in you know popularizing in the big short movie that were used to hedge against the um the kind of banking collapse in 08. Um I was like, maybe you can sub Bitcoin in because what happens if, you know, the, the, the debt crisis gets out of hand and it collapses? Like, what does that do to Bitcoin? And um, so I kind of replaced them with insurance as these insurance items and C CDS, uh, that kind of thing. So I was like, yeah, what happens if I count up all the debt and multiply that debt by these spreads? And like, what price does Bitcoin come? And um, at that point, and like, obviously, these are like, this is an extreme scenario of literally like the, the, the debt bubble getting built. Oh, it's pretty topical now with the debt even conversation going on this week. But if like defaults ever do happen and debt gets out of control, like what price would Bitcoin be in that scenario? And like, I, I think I only assign this like a 1% chance to show um, that like, yeah, it, it, to kind of highlight the asymmetry of Bitcoin. Because I was like, even if there's a 1% chance of that um, 
And if I put that in an expected value model, like I'm, I'm not, my whole point here is like that Bitcoin's incredibly volatile and dangerous. And I'm not, I, I, it's dangerous from like a short term investing point of view. And I like, I don't like people, um, say like Michael Saylor, obviously huge Bitcoin believer, but, um, he kind of overlooks the portfolio management side of things. Like it's not very practical to tell someone to mortgage their house, um, to buy any asset in the world, re regardless of your beliefs on it. Like Bitcoin could go to $2 million tomorrow. And I'd still think that, you know, a billionaire kind of advising people to mortgage their house and put like at risk their ability to put food on the table next week just to buy Bitcoin or buy any asset. I'd still think that's kind of irresponsible depending on uh, regardless of what happens that asset in this case, Bitcoin. So yeah, I, I kind of looked at it like um, took this massive like fair value point of view and like looked at what could Bitcoin be in all these scenarios. And then I also put in a scenario if it does go to zero and kind of highlighted that you can still, uh, see this thing go to zero and you can still um the fair value is still pretty high and i was like this kind of highlights the asymmetry like even if you think there's a chance to go to zero like the potential upside here is so huge and then looked into the ramifications that have that has for you know investing in it as part of a portfolio so it's not taken from the point of view of like pouring your entire net worth into this asset or you know making these massive bets with all your your paycheck and leaving nothing left for you to to live your daily life with it's kind of taking from a very um guess uh old-fashioned portfolio point of view and like asset responsible asset allocation and stuff and being like if you fit this thing into a portfolio uh what argument is there to invest in it and what value do you think it could have so i guess that's kind of the thesis behind it okay cool cool and what's the the i know the like market or i guess like total value of all like credit default swaps has has gone down a lot since like 2008 but that's still a pretty, you know, there's like a few, there are trillions in, in that market, right? So that's a pretty decent monetary premium that Bitcoin could like potentially eat is what you're, what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the number on Bitcoin in that scenario is through the roof. If you do believe it's, it's, it's a hedge on all this, this debt, like if you look at the U S alone, um, like I, I actually went to the, the debt clock in New York. If, if anyone lives in New York or has been there, you can see the debt clock. It's quite funny. Um, I think it was like 30 trillion or something when I was there. It's probably like 32 trillion or something. And then they've got all these like pension obligations, which aren't technically a sovereignty guarantee, but in reality they are. So um, that brings up way higher. Like the, the debt in the world is is absolutely enormous right now. And yeah, obviously, if you do think that um, Bitcoin can like hedge that and then you imagine a scenario where there are defaults, then, you know, you get a value through the roof. But these are like way out on the on the curve. Like I also just look at more, base case scenarios i guess um so i kind of like tried to look across the whole specter and put them all in and kind of assign assign probabilities to each scenario was yeah the thesis behind it all cool that, that sounds like a really powerful or like interesting tool for people to look at because that is like a it's a really i guess not not like understudied but it's a it's a something that people are still really trying to figure out, right? Like how, how do you value Bitcoin? Because you, it's not like a stock or a, um, or a bond or, or something like that. Um, I'm wondering, so you said there were like some base case scenarios that you came up with. Uh, do you mind describing like some of those and, and how you thought about that? Yeah, sure. And yeah, I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, regarding like th there's actually very few models or very few approaches 
taken because Bitcoin is such a novel asset. Like you, you've got the stock to flow mo model, which you know has, has become quite popular by Plan B. But beyond that, it's like you say, like Bitcoin doesn't pay a dividend. There's there's no yield, so it, it, it's it's hard to analyze it from a traditional valuation perspective. So that was part of the motivation that I took. Um, when I say base case scenarios, yeah, I just mean kind of less extreme scenarios in terms of like, I, I did look at, you know, debt and insuring all that, but I also looked at comparing it. So, you know, one popular uh, method is to compare it to the market cap of gold, like see if it, if it does become a store of value and, you know, gold is, I know it's hit an all time high recently. So that's probably a little bit higher than this, but I think at the time I, I looked, it was like 11 trillion was, it was the market cap of gold. And then I was saying, okay, what, what if gold, if Bitcoin matches the gold market cap, what price does that put each Bitcoin at? Because, you know, it, it's fascinating in that there's what makes this um, so intriguing to model is that there's a fixed supply. It's not like, you know, fiat where you can print it or it's not like um, even like equities where you can create more and kind of split them or whatever. It's like, so from a modeling point of view, it, it makes it kind of fascinating. You know exactly via this predetermined schedule that there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoins. So, it makes kind of these these funny scenarios where yeah if you're like okay if it does match the 11 trillion market cap of gold what price is each bitcoin and um things like that so um and then yeah i i i told i, I hinted at it earlier i i also looked at a scenario um where like if if you do imagine it goes to zero and even if you put that at a high probability in the model it, it still kind of kicks out a, a a pretty lofty fair value given the asymmetry um so yeah, I, I like compared it to uh, to gold, and uh, I'm trying to remember what other scenarios I had. Um, I looked at like a bunch of different variations around debt. Um, so some more aggressive than others, and then I looked at like if it takes like uh, a, a certain uh, percentage of the total financial assets in the world. Like, and I I kind of compared it to all these other asset classes like real estate and equity and fixed income, and and looked at like what what kind of percentage of of the uh, the financial markets that have to capture to reach certain thresholds, um, and yeah, I just kind of then put it all in a mixer and, and then see what came out. But yeah, the, the underlying theme was always um, to look at this from. So that means for investing in it as part of a portfolio. So it kind of Hey Dan, we are we have lost you. Um you 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 dropped out completely and then you came back for like a second. And then we lost you again. I don't Am know I coming here now? Yes, now we can hear you again. Hello. Uh <laughs> Now you're gone, gone again. Am I? Am I still gone? You are. Now you're here. Hello. Hey. Oh, I. Sorry about that. I have no no idea what happened. To my maybe my Wi-Fi dropped or something. Dan, can you hear us? Well, I can uh, hear you yellow. <laughs> I, I can hear loud and clear anyway. I, maybe maybe my Wi-Fi dropped. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, no worries. No, I think you're coming to the end of your point anyway uh, about about Bitcoin and allocation to portfolio and uh, asymmetric bet. We take the same approach and actually we have direct experience with that. So having been around since 2017 and having had people DCA into Bitcoin with their spare change since then, you know, we've seen this asymmetric bet play out when people were rounding up and they were buying tiny amounts of Bitcoin 
every week with their with their credit card the change from their credit card purchases you know with the bull run uh in 2020 and beyond that that turned into a chunk of change for people and so this thing that did not it was an easy decision for them to turn on because it was uh not impacting their budget pretty much at all and they wound up being able to gain some purchasing power there and um you know we completely agree and i think that that's really something that as Bitcoin educators and communicators, we need to hammer on um, because it, there, there's this story that, that people need to understand, which is it is asymmetric. Even if you thought there were a 90% chance that it was going to zero and a 10% chance that it was going to appreciate a hundred times or a thousand times, you would still want some, right? And you don't obviously have to over allocate if, you, if you're that bearish but you would still want some. And then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if everyone did that um, and had only a very small amount of Bitcoin uh, just as a hedge in case it worked out, then in fact it would work out, right? That would support the thesis. So um, I find that as Bitcoin educators, I don't really, I haven't nailed down that story and Coinbits is still kind of working on formulating that, that argument um, and I don't really hear that out in, in the wild. I think we could do a better job of convincing the skeptics. Yes, you're skeptical. I'm not here to convince you not to be skeptical. I'm not here even to convince you that it's not going to zero, even though obviously we don't think so. Um, I just think that it's, it, that, you know, wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that if even there's a small chance that this would work out, that you should have some? Yeah, I think... Like you say, it kind of all ties into asset allocation and portfolio management. It's it's kind of why I mentioned Michael Saylor earlier. Like that's sometimes the external image of Bitcoin, and that it's this like very um, you know almost evangelical. Uh, you know, it's all or nothing. Like you have to just put everything in Bitcoin. When you know, if you if you do step back and you know analyze it as as an asset, just like any other asset, um, and yeah, approach it from that portfolio side of things, like. There's, there's a way, and it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned DCA like this. That's, um, definitely a more responsible way to do it as well. Like even the, the power of DCA Bitcoin or not. Like I, I coincidentally built a model recently. I wrote about it for Invest, and I, I like assumed that if you took the worst stock market investor or the unluckiest stock market investor who just never invested in the market but entered in right at the peak, which I think was like late December 2021, and then purchased like a thousand dollars each month, um that they'd actually be in profit now, despite, you know, 2022 being such a torrid year. Um, and even though like, you know, we, we, after the, these last few months, we've kind of bounced back up and it kind of shows that, you know, if you stick to a plan and, and kind of take emotion out of it and, and treat it from a portfolio side that, you know, because, but like, like we were saying earlier as well, humans are emotional creatures. So it's a little bit easier said than done, but yeah, I think it's, they're important points that you raise and, uh definitely probably need to be emphasized more i think by the community um there's no point in kind of just screaming at someone to to buy this or that um regardless of whether it's bitcoin any asset but um i think yeah you can be more responsible and kind of more objective and approach it from a, a more calculating and, and cold point of view um and sometimes people um that amplifies with people a little more yeah, I also wonder uh, if, like, the, the whole um, kind of 
dare I say, everything bubble that the Fed had like built up, you know, with, with, with zero interest rate policies following like the global financial crisis caused people to like, you know, psychologically, I guess, um, not expect things to go down. Right. And, and, and like forget that Amazon had a 90 percent drawdown in two years uh, following the, the Nasdaq bubble bursting, you know. And so like when when Bitcoin has these like drawdowns, everybody's like, oh, my gosh. Right. Like so I wonder if um, how that how that plays into it, um, just like the, the expectation side of it and, and the like perspective, you know, and, and how you just described like zooming out and looking at the performance of a weekly daily or monthly DCA over like a a certain time horizon. Yeah, I I think it definitely plays into it. Like it's a super unique time in in the wider economy and financial markets that we've just gone through in the past few years. You know, like, like you say, we've, we've never seen this scale of money printing before. We've never seen interest rates this low for this long before uh, until the last year, obviously. And um, of, we've never gone through a global pandemic of, of this uh, this scale before, where you know we've got economies locked down, and so all these things. Yeah, it's been a crazy few years, and that uh, you know when you see the market doing what it did do, and going all the way back from two thousand and nine, like I think the the Nasdaq did like thirteen x from its low point in March two thousand and nine to to its peak in late twenty twenty one. So. Um, for anything that was far out in the risk spectrum, like I always like to say, like you, you could, yeah, it's, it's like monkeys throwing darts at a dartboard. Like it would be almost an achievement to have picked something over a long time horizon between those years and not made money. Like pretty much everything went up. So, um, yeah, of course that kind of messes with people's minds and um, puts you in a weird spot. But, you know, we've seen these drawdowns before. But what I think is interesting as well to kind of use the opposite of what you said when you say, you know, Bitcoin is you pointed towards Amazon going down and you're saying that Bitcoin has, has gone down this, this many times before. And yeah, it has, but it's also like quite unique. And now that this is Bitcoin's first experience of a wider bear market, like it was launched in 2009, um, just after the economy had come out of this or the market had come out of this massive crash. And then, you know, we are on this relentless bull run, like we just said. So Bitcoin's actually never been around before when the markets had a prolonged period of, of drawback, like it had last year. So, that's why I think it's, it's it's very interesting at the moment because, you know, we've never seen the asset act like this before. It, it, it's never existed in this climate. Like people kind of forget how young it is, but this is Bitcoin's first uh, stock market recession, if I can use that expression. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point because I remember, you know, a lot of like FUD or, or naysayers would say like, uh, you know, it's it's the same thing as like a risky tech stock. So when those really, you know, you know, like go down a lot, right? Like Bitcoin, Bitcoin will do the same thing. And it's not like fully been the case, right? So I think that um, that's, that's a really interesting point that you bring up. Yeah, I, I think one of the most interesting questions in the long term is, you know, if or when it can decouple um, and stop acting like a risk or high risk asset because like um we saw hints of this with the recent banking crisis when tech stocks kind of fell a bit the market as a whole and bitcoin came up a bit but it, it's only brief periods of decorrelation like if you do plot this thing um i wish i could share my screen here but if you do plot it against uh you know something like the nasdaq bitcoin has tracked it extremely closely um and 
you know, it's kind of traded off these these expectations about future interest rates, which sort of goes against the underlying fundamentals. And, you know, it, it should be like an inflation hedge almost. So um, the, the reality is that like it, it is trading very much like a risk asset right now. Um, you know, I think it's correlation with the Nasdaq is now at all time highs. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just it, it, it's kind of fascinating to think. And this is kind of what I focus on a lot in the book is, is looking at these correlations and kind of imagining scenarios that could make them decouple or seem long term, like when, when this can happen. And, you know, that's when we'll really see what Bitcoin's made of. But it's yeah, like like I say, it, it, this thing has only been around since 2009. So um, it's not <laughs> it, we don't really have a long period to track this thing. So, yeah, it's, it's trading like it's, it's super correlated right now. But um, yeah, this is its first market recession and who knows what will happen in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just just because I, I honestly haven't haven't looked at it. Uh, is it is it correlated with gold at all? And like over over long periods of time, like I guess uh, like it is with the with the Nasdaq, or not not so much. Yeah, so I actually wrote wrote a piece on this as well recently. Like we're actually in this weird juncture where gold and stocks are as correlated as they've been in a long time. So it has actually been trading. In, in a very correlated manner, Bitcoin has been trading in a very correlated manner with gold over the last year, but we're just at a weird point where gold's almost like trading off inflation expectations in the same way that stocks are rather than like current inflation. Um, so it is kind of correlated to gold, but it's sort of not really, if that makes, if that doesn't sound like a total contradiction. Um, but yeah, it's just weird. Like markets are just kind of oscillating at the moment and they're all kind of in tandem. Like you see, it, it, everyone's just kind of hanging on the word of Jerome Powell and it's, you know, hints of, of like tapering off from hikes or cuts and the market bounces across the board. And, and then, Oh, you know, inflation's still high. We, we, we need to hike more. And then it does the opposite. So we're kind of at a weird juncture. Um, and I think we're almost at a threshold moment as well. Like it does look like we're at the end of the hiking cycle. So, um, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what the, the next inflation numbers are and, um, how both stocks and Bitcoin and, and gold for that matter can react. But um, yeah, it's definitely been like a super turbulent year, but it, it does feel like we're at a threshold moment and, you know, we're about to find out a lot more about the market and, and, and the wider economy. Like um, things overall are, are definitely better than you would have expected six months ago. Like labor's still good, you know, like um, the housing market hasn't showed as much softness as, as people have thought. So um yeah, it's interesting. Like, who knows what will happen? And um, there's still a long way to go. And um, if you look historically at when these like rapid tightening tightening cycles end, it's actually afterwards that um, the market often dips. So now, obviously, we don't have data for Bitcoin going back to previous um, cycles, but these are economic cycles. I mean, not Bitcoin cycles. But uh, yeah, we don't have that data. But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens next. I think. Cool. Um, so I guess, you know, just just because we have you here and it's coming up in roughly a year, what are your thoughts on the halving? Have to ask. I guess with yeah, respect it's... to price. <laughs> oh, that's such a tough question to answer. <laughs> uh, short short term Bitcoin, like I'm not gonna pretend I have any idea like anybody else. Um geez, it is only a year away, yeah. That's really crept up quickly. It feels like uh 
2020 was just yesterday. Um, I, I have no idea, really. I think it, it, it totally depends on short term. It's just going to depend on the state of the economy and how well, you know, we can come out of this this tightening cycle. And if, if that soft landing can, can be achieved, because that's going to, you know, set the tone for the the financial markets across the board and it's just so hard to to picture that's still it's it, it does feel like tomorrow but it's still a long way away and a lot can happen between now and then um you know if, if that kind of soft landing is achieved and things are still floating along nicely and then the happening comes in that could be very promising for for bitcoin but on the flip side like there could very easily be a pain down the road for the for the economy like that those labor numbers might not stay up like maybe inflation is a little stickier than we think. Um, things are a little better in the US than they are in Europe or, or elsewhere. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to give a, a short-term price forecast because I'd just be picking out a number. I'm not going to pretend like I have any, uh, you know, uh, clairvoyant knowledge here or anything. I'm more kind of intrigued in the long-term aspect. Uh, I think short-term, it's just, there's nothing harder to predict, which kind of gets back to the, the central point that Dave was talking about earlier and, and DCAing because, you know, in the short-term, it's just, it's just too hard to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. I think price talk, it, it's frustrating price talk because it, you're obviously going to be wrong. You're obviously going to mislead yourself and others. It, it doesn't matter. Um, in fact, at CoinBits, we recently, as we've kind of evolved the way that we do our writing and our content, we really try never to say uh, pr uh, the price of Bitcoin. We, we try to use the word exchange rate um, because we try to kind of characterize value as being based on Bitcoin first, Bitcoin becoming a universal language for communicating and transmitting value. It really doesn't make sense to, to think about it as a, as a price in US dollars, even though obviously that matters. Um, I, so I wanted to ask you actually about, um, I don't know if you have an opinion about this uh, current event in Bitcoin regarding block space, uh, ordinals, BRC twenty, and so on. I, I don't know if are, are you are you familiar with all the all the developments in that area? Do you have any opinions? Yeah, I, I've sort of been following it from afar. I don't have any passionate opinions one way or another. I'm I'm kind of surprised that these block debates are coming up again. I, I kind of thought they were condemned to the past. Like, um, I it just feels like so long ago. Um, the ones was it 2017 and the Bitcoin cash and all that. Um, I really thought that was kind of condemned to the past. I had thought of a Bitcoin cash in a long, long time. Um, I don't even know what it's doing at the moment, but yeah, it surprises me. The ordinals, I mean, I know there's kind of very passionate opinions on either side. Like some people are like, oh, it's, it goes against the very ethos of Bitcoin and, you know, it's, it's NFTs and, and BRC20 and all these, these crazy terms and stuff. But uh, I mean, I think it's kind of harmless. I think it's got a, I don't think there's any value. I've never invested in anything like that ever again. And I don't think it's really anything to do with Bitcoin or kind of what interests me about Bitcoin and looking at it like, like I was saying, like that macroeconomic angle and stuff, like it's really nothing to do with it. But I also think it's kind of harmless and these things are going to die down. Um, I think the interest will drop. Like, I mean, people were saying all sorts about NFTs back in the pandemic bull run and, you know, the volume there is just has disappeared. I, I think it will be kind of similar here, but I don't, I'm not like cheering for their demise or I'm not like cheering them on. I think it's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I'll like browse by it on my timeline every now and then, but I'm not like super involved or anything or have any strong opinions one way or another. 
I think that's a safe approach. I agree with you. It's probably just going to blow over, although it is kind of a fascinating thing to see uh, the Bitcoin community a little bit split by like a wedge issue where people are pretty much aligned on 90% of like of their opinions on Bitcoin and, and money and, and economics. But there's like this one thing where, you know, you could be like a, a protocol maximalist uh, kind of, or like a freedom maximalist when it comes to using a protocol. Uh, or you could be like, well, maybe so, but we should change the protocol. And um, I think uh, what I've been noticing in the last few days is people calling to change the protocol or, or maybe on, on the back foot. And I think we're probably just going to watch this thing play out over time. Although it is, we were talking yesterday, uh, a couple days ago, it is a nice dry run <clears throat> for hyper-Bitcoinization, right? So we've all been hoping for and expecting hyper-Bitcoinization. Obviously, eventually, we would expect that block space would be at a super premium like this. And, you know, I don't think anybody in the Bitcoin community was necessarily thinking that uh, it would be a bad thing if, if uh, widespread Bitcoin adoption suddenly went parabolic, like, immediately. But but now we're seeing that perhaps the um, the ecosystem has some more work to do to kind of enable it to not teeter and, and strain under its own weight when, when you do have these full blocks. Um, so Dan, I, I do want to ask, um, and audience, if anybody wants to um, ask a question or submit a topic for discussion, this is, you know, very free form, casual conversation, just raise your hand and uh, we'll give you the floor. But uh, in the meantime, while we, while we wait for that, Dan, uh, do you have any like resources that you would send us to? Obviously, your book, Bitcoin, Money, and Human Beings, which we talked about. But um, anything else you want to point us to um, that you find especially interesting um, to kind of um, enlighten that that has enlightened you? It could be about Bitcoin, or it could be any topic, really. Um, let me think. Um, yeah, like I keep saying, like it's kind of the, the macroeconomic angle to Bitcoin is, is my kind of thing. So I like, you know, taking a looking at its valuation in, in a global context and like comparing it to other asset classes and seeing what's happening in the wider economy. Like, um, I don't just work on Bitcoin. I like analyze and build models like all across like a bunch of asset classes. So I'm constantly looking at like plotting Bitcoin against various assets and trying to see if I can come up with any patterns. Um, I've recently been, yeah, like super interested in just, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but like tracking that correlation and how it's changing or not changing um, against both stocks and gold. I think that's really interesting, especially as those banking wobbles, banking wobbles transpired. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's volatility as well. Like the liquidity is is so low right now in Bitcoin markets. And we, we saw uh, like that story that came out a couple of days ago about Jane Street and Jump Crypto they're pulling back their market making activity as well. And, you know, it's still the Alameda hole in, in liquidity still has been replaced from November. Um, like markets are just so thin right now, which I think is exacerbating moves to both the upside and the downside, um, which I think is part of the reason why Bitcoin has run up so heavily this year, despite the fact that, you know, it, it's outperformed tech so much this year and there really hasn't been that much good news or like ostensible explanation for it. I think it is just a, uh, you know, there's softer expectations around the future path of interest rates and just less capital is needed to move this thing right now. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I've been interested in recently. Um, 
this week I, I did a piece yesterday i saw that uh you know the the amount of addresses holding one bitcoin or more is just about to hit one million i think it's like nine hundred ninety-eight thousand or something which is interesting um but yeah apart from that i'm just kind of like just tracking what's going on day to day um and yeah just seeing if i can uncover patterns or see interesting um developments and what they kind of mean for valuations going forward and ongoing prices Excellent. Well, we can leave it there, guys. Um, thank you, everybody. So, um, Dan, we, we really do appreciate your time and the um, the passion and the insight that you bring to Bitcoin. And I have not picked up the book. I'm going to go check it out, though. Um, really interesting that you have this fair value model. I've actually heard that term um, elsewhere as well. And um, I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of... Um, interesting work to be done to figure out like what exactly goes on um, with the exchange rate and why I, I saw an article by a Bitcoin bear a few weeks ago and her thesis was Bitcoin just kind of does this meaning, you know, it's like unknowable why the price moves. Uh, it's possible. I don't know. I think there's, there's gotta be some kind of explanation for it. Also, I'm curious about eventually understanding like when Bitcoin does move, you know, um, let's say it crashes or, or there's like a downturn, where's the money going, right? I mean, it's a curious, curious question. I, I, I suspect a lot of it is to consumption, actually, as opposed to another, another asset. But that's, that, that's maybe just a working theory of mine. Anyway, Dan, thank you again for being here. Um, we really appreciate you. Any closing remarks? I uh, just, I'm always happy to hear from people if they've feedback on my pieces or my analysis or suggestions. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or, or elsewhere. Um, but yeah, thank, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm always happy to chat Bitcoin and markets. So it was fun. All right, guys, thank you. We're CoinBits. We are a Bitcoin-only financial services company. We help you DCA into Bitcoin. We can buy big and small amounts. If you're looking for a larger amount of Bitcoin, we have Bitcoin uh, Coinbits Reserve, which is um, for higher net worth institutions and businesses. Um, check that out at coinbits.app/reserve. And we are releasing a Bitcoin IRA for consumers and plebs. Go to coinbits.app/ira, get on the waiting list, and um, we will be reaching out. And that's all for us. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your Friday and a lovely weekend. We will talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. Cheers. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Bitcoin Roundup podcast presented by Coinbits. So what do you think of the conversation? Share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Coinbits app and be sure to subscribe to be notified of our next episode release. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Bitcoin Roundup Podcast.